Hey, welcome to the C3 Auckland podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, head to c3church.org.nz. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, I am going to uh, do a message tonight that has been requested. I do requests from time to time. Um, so I'm doing a request message tonight. And uh, I guess if Adele can sing hello on request, I can do a message on request. This is one of my favorite messages anyway, so I don't mind singing it. Um, long time since I did it, so I'm hoping it will come back to me as I deliver it. It's sweet spots and how it handles. I haven't driven this for a while, so it may be a bit clunky, but you won't know that I will. Um, I'm going to read you from Luke 7, verse 1 to 10, a beautiful encounter Jesus has with this individual. Um, Jesus entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard about Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was on his way to the house when the centurion sent friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house to find the servant well. The title of this message is The Centurion Factor. The Centurion Factor. Not rise above, Centurion Factor. I invented that term because I can. Because I wondered what to call what's going on here. I didn't want to just talk to you about it and use normal faith language. I wanted to find out and find language that identified the kind of faith that's going on in these pages here is uncommon. It is very rare, but I didn't know what to call it, so I decided to call it the centurion factor. And I call it that for this reason. Here we have a man who um, is clearly successful. He is um, senior in Roman military terms, so he has a lot of resources at his disposal, disposal in the Roman hierarchy that he was in. He clearly is a wealthy man too, by the way, because you read, didn't you, with me, that the elders of the local synagogue um, appealed to Jesus, perhaps thinking he would be reluctant to go to this man's house because he is not only a Gentile, he is a Roman military officer who the Jews hated. So to persuade Jesus to perhaps go to the man's house, not that he would have needed persuading, we know that about him now, perhaps they didn't know that about him then, they said to him, this is a good guy, Jesus. I know you might think, you know, Roman centurion, blah, blah, blah. But he's a good guy. He loves what we're doing so much so he wrote a check for our church building. That's what we just read. He financed our synagogue. So this guy is wealthy. He is not just in a position of power. He also has considerable financial means, but he has a problem none of that can fix. He has a staff member who is ill with a kind of illness that people normally didn't recover from, whatever the illness was. 
It's evident from what we just read that this passage isn't about the servant at all. The subheading in your Bible leads us to believe we're about to read about the servant, but it tells us nothing about the servant. We don't know what the nature of the sickness was. We don't know the name of the servant. We don't know whether the servant was male or female, whether the servant had been in the service of the centurion for a long or short time, why this staff member mattered so much to the centurion. We don't know any of that information. We know all of that and more about other people Jesus helped, but not in this passage. So clearly this is not about the centurion's servant. It is about the centurion. So he has a problem that he can't throw anything at that's at his disposal, often like we are in life. What often makes us open and desperate to be open to the idea of divine intervention on God helping us is we get stuck like he was. So he doesn't know Jesus, but he knows someone that does. So he reaches out to the elders of the synagogue who know Jesus, and from what they have told him about Jesus, he thinks that he may be able to help him. So he sets a plan in motion. And the elders approach Jesus, and Jesus, as we just read, set off to the man's house. We don't know how far the walk was. You couldn't get an Uber in those days. So everything's on foot. So he's setting off to walk to this man's house. We don't know how far the walk was, but he sets off with his usual entourage that are with him, which included, you know, um, the disciples, and it included probably people that were hoping perhaps to get a miracle or a free meal. It included those fake news people. They were always there, the Pharisees trying to catch him out. So they were probably in the entourage as he's going towards this man's house. Then the centurion, meanwhile, is at home and has another idea, an upgrade on the first idea. He sets the second idea in motion by sending another delegation to Jesus in the form of some of his staff. And they come to Jesus and intercept him on his way to the man's house. And they said, our master sent us saying he's had another idea. And the new idea is this. He said, instead of coming physically, personally to the house, why don't you just send your word. And what he means by that is that he is a man like you over people in authority and under authority. So like you, he thinks that when he tells someone to do something, they do it. He doesn't go with them to make sure they do it. And when he is told to do something, the people telling him to do something in the form of a letter that's come down from military Roman command or come down from Roman government, a new policy in military systems, or a new policy for that part of the Roman Empire, he knew that the seal on the letter was as good as the presence of the person that stamped it. He knew that authority and power did not require physical presence for it to be carried out. He lived in a world where physical presence was difficult to create because they didn't have transportation like we do. And so he lived in a world where it relied on signature and seals that was as good as the presence of the person. And if you didn't do what the letter said, you could finish up losing your job or losing your liberty or perhaps losing your life if you didn't do what the letter said. So he thought, I think Jesus understands that like I do, that I don't follow around my servants making sure they do it in the way that I send a person to do something I think he can send a word like I send a soldier or a staff member. 
I think he can treat words like I treat people. And he can send a word because words are servants or masters. He said, send a word and just send your word to my house. I do it all the time, so why don't you do that? This is what amazed Jesus. I think whatever amazes Jesus is worthy of closer investigation. Because when you're omnipotent and omnipresent, you must be hard to impress. <laughs> Jesus is not often amazed. If you study church history and Bible history, he was not often amazed. Something this man did this day amazed him. I'm interested in what it is that amazed him in case we are capable of reproducing it in our generation. I'm calling what amazed him centurion fact of faith. And what's amazing to Jesus isn't just who he's dealing with, a complete outsider, not a church member, not a church leader, a complete outsider. He's amazed at who it is that's sending this message to him. He's amazed at who has this understanding of authority that's beyond even his disciples that are with him 24-7 who don't understand what just happened either. Because he turns to them and he says, I haven't found this kind of wisdom and faith even amongst you guys that are with me 24-7. Sometimes, as I said this morning, it takes an outsider with zero gravity thinking to say something, to suggest something that hasn't occurred to us because we're too close to see the wood for the trees often. So this guy comes with this suggestion. Jesus is amazed. He's amazed because of who's saying it, but he's amazed because of what was just said. Because here's what I want you to realize. Every miracle Jesus had done to this point, he had been physically present in performing it. And he's on his way to do the same thing again. Because the elders said to the centurion, this is how this works. You get Jesus to come to the house, he will lay a hand or something on the sick servant, and then, you know, a miracle will happen. So it's business as usual is the first plan. Plan A is go to the house, do the same thing. That's what the centurion is told to expect. He changes it. He has a game-changing idea. And he suggests what we just talked about, just send the word. Now, nobody had ever heard, to this time, nobody had ever heard of such a thing. This is what's amazing about it. Nobody had ever been healed by Jesus without him being physically present. No one knew it was even an option. No one knew it was even possible. Until the centurion suggested it, no one knew it was even on the cards as an idea. It was even an option. No one would even have dared to suggest it for fear of appearing stupid or ridiculous or out of touch with how things really work. And this centurion, free from all of that, just came up with it. So he's amazed that this man comes up with something that I am calling centurion fact of faith because centurion fact of faith is the kind of faith that gets God to do stuff that no one knew God could do or would do, or according to some people, even should do. Because nobody thinks he should be helping this guy. So centurion fact of faith is, is the kind of faith that, that pulls out of God stuff that no one knew was there to be drawn on. And here's what's amazing as well, because the only person who knew that this was possible, 
was Jesus. And he did not say anything. You need to know this about God. Jesus would rather walk down a road he doesn't need to. Because he knew he didn't need to go to the man's house. He knew he could speak a word, but he didn't say anything. So God would rather walk down a road he doesn't need to, for your sake, to deliver it in the way that you're comfortable with, rather than him suggest, I'll just send a word, because if that's not your idea, you're going to read that as he's unloving, he's unkind, and my servant's dying, taking the last breath. What do you mean you're not coming to my house? Because this thing we call Christianity operates according to your faith, not according to his ability. What, what his ability can do is way beyond what our faith often requires of him. And the issue is this, that Jesus will stay quiet and he will keep walking down roads in your life he doesn't need to, to deliver you a business as usual experience because he knows that that is how you have boxed him in. How we have told him he can deliver what he delivers to us. We have told him this is what it looks like. We have told him this is what usually happens. We become very predictable. We start painting by numbers. We start stereotyping how things happen. And that's what's happening this day. Listen, if Jesus went to this man's house and laid a hand on the servant, it's still a good outcome. It's still a good story. But something happened. Something happened this day that had never happened before. And... And that Jesus didn't say anything. And I want you to know that the centurion fact of faith is the kind of faith that is human interruption of divine intention. Because divine intention is to go to the man's house. And a human interrupted that divine intention and Jesus changed his mind based on this man's suggestion and said, okay, let's do that then. And there are so many things about which Jesus wants to be intercepted. If you study church history, and I have, you will find that church history, by and large, is a repetitive cycle of sameness. There are occasional spikes in church history where something unusual, a massive happened that became a game changer in church history. The book of Acts and Pentecost would be a case that we all know about. It became a game-changing spike in history, but they are rare. Spikes in church history are rare because these kind of people in church history are rare. And what we have normally in church history is business as usual Christianity that doesn't make us bad, doesn't make us a fail, but it means that God just keeps walking down the same road with every generation, doing the same stuff he's always done. People still get helped. People still get healed. But it's as if to me God is hoping someone in every generation will, will interrupt him, will, will hijack him, will change a business as usual relationship that the church has had for generations with God and, and be audacious enough, be cheeky enough, be ridiculous enough, be crazy enough, be rude enough, be impolite enough, whatever people will call it, risk all of that misunderstanding and disapproval to suggest something new, to say, let's do it this way, to, to pull out of God, to pull out of God 
a way of doing something that no one knew God could do. And retrospectively, it becomes known as an unprecedented move of God. Ain't nobody calling it that when it happens, especially in the church. The churches are threatened by it and say, that can't be God. That's not God. God doesn't use people like that. God doesn't move like that. And we pontificate on what isn't, isn't God because it's not what we recognize in our tribe. So I'm sure many in the church would have been saying, even the disciples would have been capable of saying, these centurions, you know, these Romans, trying to tell Jesus how to do his job. You know, just send a word. You know, if you know anything about disciples, they were very capable of that kind of conversation. <laughs> as are all of us. Have you ever um, had a friend that you've known for years, and you think you know them so well, then one day they do something, and you're like, what? I mean in a good way. You're all thinking about it, aren't you? But I, I'll let you just, I'll let that just sit there a minute, kiss, to see which way you're wired. I had a friend called Bill. I'd known Bill for 15 years. Bill and I were down at the university campus in our city, and we were sat in a cafe on the university campus talking about our ideas we had about reaching in uh, to the campus. And we'd been there about an hour nattering and just, you know, getting a feel of the vibe and the comings and goings of the students. And we're about to leave the cafe and in walked about a dozen Chinese students. And they're all just, you know, chatting away in Chinese. I know there isn't a Chinese language, but give me a break here, okay? Uh, they're probably Cantonese or something else they're speaking in, but let's just stick with Chinese generically for now and send me the politically correct letters later. I leave town tomorrow, I don't care. And if you troll me on social media, I'll block you. I love blocking people, it's awesome. If you do it in real life, I block you. So I'm with Bill. So we get up to leave the cafe. Bill walks over to these kids and starts talking to them in fluent Chinese or fluent Cantonese, whatever it was. Bill, and I don't mean a few words that Bill had learned somewhere and was trying it out. I mean fluent freaking Chinese. <laughs> fluent. I am so mad. I wait outside for Bill. Bill comes out nonchalantly. I'm like, what in the world just happened? I said, Bill, 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 you speak freaking Chinese. How come he never told me? I've known you for 15 years. How come he never told me? Me, your friend. How come you never told me that you speak Chinese? How come these strangers know it before I know it? <laughs> Bill, why didn't you tell me? Why wouldn't you tell me? And Bill, in his calm, casual, annoying way, <laughs> said to me, because you never asked. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Bill was done. Bill was done. That was it. You never asked. I tell you that to tell you that God is like Bill. When, when you see God doing something for someone else, or you see him sending his word but not going to the house, God speaks Chinese, you see. You see? 
but he won't tell you because you never asked. God can do stuff, but he won't do it because you never asked. There is so much stuff that God is capable of way beyond what we've seen in decades, in centuries. There is way more that God can do, but he will not do it because he's like Bill. Unless you ask him, unless you make him speak Chinese, unless you make him behave different to what other generations of churches have got him to do, he will just do the same stuff. And the sad thing is we are content with that because we still have a good result. What we care about is someone gets healed and that's cool. We want a good outcome. But what we're not so conscious of is there are other ways. And I've got to tell you, this church couldn't have got as far as you've got without some of this in the mix. You're going to need a lot more for what's next. This car park is going to need some centurion factor faith. This next level that you want to go to that Dean has been speaking about this last few days, Cambodia, and your heart to invest there. The conference next year here. You're going to need some centurion factor outside the box, thinking, believing, behavior, culture to move to that next level. You're going to have to get God to speak Chinese if you want this stuff to happen here and it not be an occasional freak thing in your ancient church history. Or oh, do you remember in 1995 when God... There were too many churches like that. The good old days. Who knew? Who knew that a man could get the sun to stand still? This was not God's idea. God didn't come up with it. Even though God knew he could do it. So it's a dilemma that any battle any military leader would have in that day and age because the Israel are in a fight and they are winning but nightfall is coming and Joshua knew that if it got dark when it normally gets dark the enemy would scatter in the darkness and live to fight another day and that would create continual war with this nation and it was a tipping point if they could continue for a few more hours, he knew it would tip into their favor and they would wipe out this enemy, which would perhaps give them peace for generations to come. Joshua was aware of this. So he has a dilemma. It's getting dark. They didn't have, you know, night scopes like the black ops do now. So I don't know what happened. Who knows what happened in his brain? Because he looked up at the sun <laughs> and shouted at the sun to stand still. I don't think if I was one of his officers, I'd have been okay with that. <laughs> I'd have been glad that the soldiers didn't hear it. In case they think, oh, Joshua must need a sabbatical. <laughs> did, did, did he just shout at the sun? What? That's what he did. Sun, stand still. Do you know what God did? God went, high five. I can do that. I can do that. Well, if you can do that, why didn't you do it, Lord? Is what I think Joshua could have thought. Why did I have to come up with it? Because 
If he hadn't come up with it, it would have ended like I just forecast. It would have got dark. They'd have escaped. They'd have lived to fight another day. And God would have let that happen. Wouldn't have been an odd ending to a Bible story would have turned the page and carried on. It wouldn't have been unusual or shocking that it ended that way. That's cool. But something happened. And Joshua came up with something. He had centurion fact of faith in my language, and he came up with an idea. And God said, cool, let's do that then. What God didn't do, which I love about God, is he didn't say to Joshua, well, look, if you're going to ask me for stuff like that, at least get your science right. Because the sun doesn't move. It's already still. God didn't lecture him. God didn't patronize him or condescend to him. No more than he will to you when you reach for something. But you're not sure. I've got three minutes. Don't be clapping on me. Despite what I taught you this morning. Um, so Joshua... <laughs> didn't get a lecture from God because he's reaching. And God appreciates your reaching. He won't patronize or condescend because you don't know how to articulate it. Because the centurion is just saying, you know, on the basis of authority, I just thought it's an idea, as I guess how he sent it. He's not trying to be spiritual or supernatural. He hasn't got a clue. He just knows how authority works. And suggested that to Jesus. And Jesus goes, yeah, that's cool. That's how it works. That's how it works. You, you, you're onto something that these guys haven't twigged yet. Because they're still dragging me down roads everywhere till I hands on people. So what God did for Joshua was far more complicated than getting one planet to stand still. Because the earth and every planet in our universe orbits around the sun. So what God did was he... He slowed down, he interrupted planetary freaking alignment. That's what he did. For what? If I was God, I think I'd have said to Joshua, that's a ridiculous thing to ask for such a small gain. What, to kill a few more bad guys? Are you kidding me? Like interrupt the universe to kill a few more bad guys? God didn't do that. God said, okay, let's do that. Centurion fact of faith, got God to do that. And it says in Joshua 10, there has never been a day like it before or since when God listened to a man about freaking planetary alignment. That's what it says. God listened to a man about something as cosmic as that. Just Joshua got a problem. Couldn't help me out, Lord, could you? Could you get the sun to stand still? I don't know. Just said it. Who knew? Who freaking knew that sick people could be healed in a shadow? This was not God's idea. It was not Peter's idea. He knew nothing about it. It was sick people's idea that were too sick and so sick they had no mobility hardly. They couldn't, they couldn't get there in time to the front of the prayer line. They couldn't get Peter's attention. So somebody... Some crazy person. By the way, you should all have at least one crazy friend in your life. No, you should. Don't you be, don't you be talking to sane people when you need a breakthrough. Sane is overrated when you need a breakthrough. Talk to some crazy people. 
Because crazy people will say, well, have you tried this? I never thought of that. That's a great idea. So, so some crazy person said, I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go and put ourselves in that street. When Peter goes by, because he goes by every day up to the synagogue, we're going to be there. And when that man's shadow touches us, we're going to get a miracle, is what they said to each other. Nothing, we don't even need to talk to Peter. We're just borrowing his shadow. Don't need his time. We don't need his attention. We don't need him to physically give us attention. Like the centurion said, Jesus, don't come to my house. They, they figured that out. And so they dragged their bodies and they helped each other to get there. Some didn't go that day because they were too embarrassed at the idea of it. Imagine telling your kids, where are you going today, mom? I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, Sheila down the road said that, you know, we, we're just going to go and spend the day, uh, you know, sitting by that wall. It's red hot, mom. What are you doing? You're going to be dehydrated. You're sick enough as it is. Well, no, Sheila said, and, and Phil's going, and so on. We, 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 we're going to get a miracle in that fella's shadow. Oh, my God, mom. Oh, my God, mom. No, 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 no. I can't. What if my friends see you? It's going to be so embarrassing. No, 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 mom. No, no, no. Sheila's a bit crazy anyway. You know that, mom. So normal conversation, right? Something you go through many days in your life when you suggest something, personally or corporately, that is unusual, that is outside the box, that is centurion factor. And Peter walks by and his shadow hits them. And boom, 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 boom. They start getting miracles. Because when they said, let's get healed in Peter's shadow, God said, okay, let's do that. And the sun's standing still and people healed in Peter's shadow are not in the Bible for us to create shadow healing churches. <laughs> or sun standstill movements. They're not. These are there to simply tell you God speaks Chinese. That's all they're there for. They are, they are models. They are, they are ideas. They are suggestions. They are enticements. Um, a, fish, a fish ATM. Cash machine. A fish cash machine. Peter said, we've got to pay our taxes. We've got no money. He said, go catch a fish. He'd love money in his mouth. A fish ATM. A fish cash machine. What the heck is that about? Of all the ways to raise the funds to pay the taxes. Jesus had funds. He had a treasurer. So he had money. Why not just write a check from the treasury? What's that about? How elaborate. How ridiculous. Especially to fishermen. Don't catch a fish. You mean catch fish and sell it, Jesus? No, no, no. Catch a fish and open its mouth. It'll have money in to pay the taxes. <laughs> it's the kind of mentoring I'm into. This disruptive shock tactics coaching of these guys. Because he knew he had only a couple of years left with him. So they're in the deep end every day with him. Who knew? Walking on water. What in the world is that about? What a complete waste of time. <laughs> Think about it. Nobody's been helped. Nobody's been healed. No hungry or been fed. 
No demons have been cast out. No miracles are happening while he's just walking on the water. Think about it. I'll tell you what walking water is. What it's about is it's God showing off. That's all it is. Because it's, it's completely unnecessary. It's God showing off. All it is is God saying, I can do stuff. That's all it is. I can do stuff. It's indulgent. It's flash. God doesn't show off like people do. It's not ego. God shows off to let you know, I could do stuff. There's a lot more in the cupboard than you're asking me for. But if you don't ask me, then it'll stay in the cupboard till the generation comes along that does ask for it. And they'll get it. And, and this is why around the world, some churches are experiencing a move of God that the people who have been in town for 30 years are not seeing. Then they have an issue with the new kids on the block. Maybe they've got some centurion fact of faith in the leadership or in the culture of the church. Maybe they're a bit audacious. Maybe they're a bit outside the box. Maybe they're trying stuff and don't care what people think. Maybe they're getting God's attention. Maybe God's speaking Chinese over there. And he'd love to speak Chinese where you are, but nobody's asking him. Amazing, isn't it, when uh, John writes this very naughty thing in his gospel. He said, we're in the upper room for days with Jesus, where it says he performed many miracles. But then he says, about which I'm not permitted to tell you. <laughs> so Jesus prohibited John from recording what took place. They were prohibited from talking about what happened in the upper room. Well, at least we know, one thing we do know is, they were not miracles of divine intervention, because nobody in that room needed one. They're all born again. Nobody's sick. So whatever these miracles were, they were not what he's done publicly, because nobody in this room needs any of that. So whatever these miracles were, were unusual, rare, odd, weird stuff probably. Seriously. It was like having a private magic show with Jesus. I imagine. Whether he levitated, whether he disappeared and appeared, whether he said things to them that were so intimate about what's in their soul, whether he did things to their bodies that were manifestations of something supernatural, whether he changed in his appearance because he was capable of that, whether he moved through solid walls and came back in again, whatever he did, was not so that they could go out and try and reproduce it. Whatever he did was to give them a private demonstration of his ability to speak Chinese. So that when they, were, when they left that room filled with the Spirit, in their memories forever was that private time with Jesus. I, I call that the undiscovered Jesus. I call that version of him the unexplored, undiscovered Jesus. Whatever happened in that room, we'll never know. They never told us, but it's enough to entice me to think, is what it did in that room, is one of the miracles in, in that room what you need tonight? Is it what this church needs? Is it what the earth needs? Whatever he did, it entices me to wonder what is it that he's capable of that he didn't let them talk about? And could we possibly come up with it? Could we possibly randomly ask him for it? 
We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more about our church or to find out what's coming up, check out c3church.org.nz.